Welcome to another episode of Kiss My Mic. Our theme this month is Gay Pride and Prejudice in celebration of Gay Pride, LGBTQ Pride. And today, I am joined by the amazing, super creative, Amanda Kelly Espiritu. Amanda is the founder of Creative Surrender Studios based in New York City. She also wrote the book called Creative Surrender, which I've read. She's a co-founder of That Good Friendship, host of TED Circles, a community leader, and a multi-hyphenate visual artist. So welcome, Amanda, and thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Mike. Yeah, it's my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to really getting to know you more and to hear your story as well. So before I ask you the questions, Amanda, was there anything in the background intro that you'd like to add, um, you know, for listeners to know more about you as well? Um, no, I think that's it. There's there's always a plethora of things that I am up to. Um, I don't really love labels or definitions on anything because I feel like all of us are evolving any given hour or day. So there's a lot of different um, projects I'm a part of, whether it's consulting or helping grow different communities. And I like being able to go around um, and help out where I can on different things. But it's always very like mission-centered for me um, in any of the things I do, because I definitely want to leave the communities I'm part of better for having found them. And I'm always like, you know, if uh, a person or a community is very much approaching with a, like, let's kick open doors for each other and is always leading with the question of how can I support you, that's usually someone or a community that I really love being involved in. So I try to approach it with the same thing. Yeah, I feel like you have so many projects and, you know, I'm the same way. I feel like, you know, there's just so many ideas, more than time available, right? So constantly looking for the next thing. But I think that to me is a sign of a creative spirit, right? The creative mindset that you're constantly thinking of ways to express yourself and do good for the community. Maybe a way to start is really talk more about the creative surrender studios. So I guess for some people who may not know it, um, who are listening, if you can share some background on how it came about, right? So how did you start the, the journey? you know, founding the organization. I think I've read that it started as a web series and now it's really a place where different creatives can come together and showcase kind of different artistic talents and endeavors. So yeah, if you can share a little bit of background on that, Amanda, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So Creative Surrender kind of started as something that was a conversation between myself and a really good friend of mine named Shri. And we had been, I think, maybe at a brunch or something in New York, and she came up and talked to me about how she had been noodling on this idea about potentially shooting like a web series. And we got to talking because I had been planning to do the same thing, but we found that trying to tackle it individually was something we were both really kind of overwhelmed and scared by, and it felt like, how are we possibly supposed to get this done? And so because both of us have always been pretty excitable people and always wanting to get people involved, we were like, we should just like have an actual conversation about this. And so we were both in New York at the time, and we went to um, the meatpacking district, went to this furniture store, and sat on this couch for no joke seven hours, just like brainstorming things back and forth. Like she had two different notebooks going. We were just like you know, what could this possibly be called? And, you know, we knew creativity wanted to be in the name title and we we're, you know, throwing words back and forth. And I thought of the word like surrender. And I think to me, it has always been this thing of like, as much as I don't like labels or definitions, like how do you actually try to capture like what is creativity? And 
this started right from the sense of how difficult it can sometimes be to either focus in on one thing or to try to figure out how to do something on your own. And I think a lot of times creative pursuits and for artists, it can feel really overwhelming that it's something that either you do by yourself and get so hyper-focused that you're not really able to like interact or connect with the outside world or you feel like you're in a rut or you've hit a wall. You might have writer's block and it's so hard to be like, did I lose it? Like, am I ever going to create anything again? And so we've just been talking a lot about how she was like, you know, you seem to always be able to like pick yourself back up on stuff. And I was saying, I don't think it's really me. I think that I have kind of these habits in place and systems and people that help me kind of get back on track when I feel like, you know, I'm going a little bit crazy and spiraling because I think that the creative process is very much this like, you know, we don't all hit the peaks and valleys at the same time. It's the spiral of a process. And so I was talking about how like I really, you know, love gathering people together. And so I thought it would be cool if we invited people to go do things that would like push them out of their comfort zone. That, you know, if you do something that was a little unusual, it could kickstart you into having all this energy for both your creative pursuits as well as professional. And we were talking further and we're like, it would be a little hypocritical of us to, you know, be inviting people into this kind of adventure if we're not tackling our own fears ourselves. And so part of it was we had started off with this web series idea But even before we had launched that, I had been telling her that for the past year, so I think this was in 2019, so in 2018, I had started really reserving Sundays for times where I was, you know, doing all my passion projects. Because a lot of the time I would be like, you know, I do all this stuff as a producer. And so I'd be creating all these things for other people. And I would be like, I'll get to this tomorrow. I'll paint this like next week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put this on my calendar. I'm not going to move it. Like I'm going to treat this as, you know, as much as I would respect a meeting. I have with anybody else. And so we started being like, you know, I'm just going to invite people to do this. Like I'm doing this every Sunday anyways. I'll like hang out with friends. It'll be friends of friends. So we started doing these things. If um, you or the listeners are familiar with Pomodoro Sprints, normally it's for co-working and you do these really quick 45 minute to 60 minute sessions of like really fast work and you take breaks in between, you connect with people. So we reformatted that into something for your, you like come to these, anyone is welcome, but you're not allowed to do work. Like it has to be personal stuff for you. It has to be passion projects. So I think having that container to go be spontaneous within and taking away people's sense of like, I have to keep track of the time. Like all you had to do was show up was really freeing for people. And we started testing these formats of like, I was like, I always do dance breaks to help me like reset. Like sometimes I feel like I can't go take a walk or I forget to eat. So like, we're also going to have this so we nourish ourselves and get to know other people. And so that turned into this really wonderful community of things that we were doing weekly. And then I think after the first couple, I was heading out to uh, Tokyo to meet up with some friends and then in Singapore for a project. And before I headed out there, My friend was like, you know, we brought up this conversation again about like, we're going to be leading people on this thing for the web series. Like, what are we going to do individually? Like, what are you going to do? Because she was like, I probably don't have time. And I was like, oh, no, you know, I have to go do this by myself. But she kind of challenged me and was like, 
I kind of have an idea of like what you should do, but I wonder if you can come up with the same thing. And what it ended up being was I have always been way more comfortable. Like I'm sure some people are behind the camera. Um, And she was like, you should really step out from behind the camera and you are an incredible dancer. At least I think so. And I know you're always a little bit shocked when people tell you that, but you should go like step out from behind the camera and dance. And I was half jokingly like, well, if I'm going to do something crazy like that, like I'm going to go all in, like I'm bringing a red panda onesie with me to Singapore. And I put it in my suitcase. It took up like a quarter of it and wasn't really sure even up until the morning. I was like, I'm going to do it. I've said I'm going to do it that I was like, am I really going to wear this red panda like onesie in public and go? I really think that I can tackle this and do this. I'm freaking out. This is really scary. I have a ton of adrenaline right now. But I woke up, uh, I don't even know, it was like 5.30, 6 a.m. And I was staying at a place that was like an hour from Gardens by the Bay. And I knew that I wanted to go shoot it there. And a friend had an EP dropping. And I loved his like title track song. And we had been talking about how I was like, I'm just going to like use your song for this music video because you have no plans to shoot yourself a music video. And I, uh, <laughs> I went in this Red Panda onesie on the bus for like an hour plus, got off like Got my tickets, wandered around. It was, it was, I don't even know, like 90 plus degree humidity at sunrise. So there weren't as many people at first, but then there were like a lot of people coming through. And as in my head as I was about it at first, just being able to like dance around and get different shots. And like there were so many people I was meeting, like people were like, this is so cute. What are you doing? That I just made all of these like friends with strangers, with people who are working there. And it was this really, really incredible moment of connection. And I think like reflecting on it in the moment and even after, I think it just like solidified this hypothesis that my friend and I had had of like, I feel so much energy right now. Like I feel like I could tackle anything, any problem I have, like this is how I should feel when I get out of bed each morning. And if I don't feel this way about the things I'm working on or the people that I'm around, like I need to make a change. And it can be as simple as doing and tackling the thing that scares me. And so I think being able to do that and speak to that has helped kind of let me design and invite people into like what this experience could be for them. And it's a lot of very like individually tailored stuff. Sometimes there's someone who wants to beta test something, but they're not really sure how it would go. So we've helped them, you know, design what that could look like, invite people there, kind of test it out. And so it was really fun that that was how it started. And it's evolved a lot since then to even some of the most recent things we've been doing have much more of like a music and poetry focus of the festivals we did last year for charity, as well as like a mixtape we did over the holidays for the first time. So it's been really cool to let things kind of be fluid and see, you know, what people are uncomfortable or scared of tackling by themselves because it is so, so much easier in community. And a lot of time people are just waiting for an invitation. That is amazing. First of all, it's very inspiring. You know, I can really hear the passion in you. And I think we should all find our own red panda onesie, our own version of it, right? So I guess, are we going to see a comeback of the red panda onesie at some point? Potentially. I I definitely still have worn it on and off. It's in San Francisco at my parents' place right now because I've moved on from New York. But um, I think it was because I I got this, um, like, giant confetti sort of... uh, like romper suit. And so that was something that I was dancing in a lot last year. Um, so I've kind of been doing that more so. I think it depends now on 
where I'm heading. Obviously, with everything with the pandemic, um, not going around as often to as many places. But I think it was kind of its own way, like a mask to wear of like, this is something like silly, so I can laugh at myself, and I can kind of hide in this onesie. And so while I still enjoy like wearing it and going out with friends and stuff, like, I don't know that that's something I want it to be like focused on because there's so much about like taking off all of these, these masks you have to either like keep people at bay. And so that was like itself kind of a tool that I was using at the time when I was super uncomfortable. And now I feel like I don't necessarily need it anymore, but I still have a lot of heart for it and it's always going to be special to me. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean, it's very uh, introspective in terms of your journey, how you've used that really to, you know, deal with kind of what you were going through then and where you are right now. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful statement. I do want to ask you about, uh, I guess, piggybacking off your comment about fear. I think that's a powerful message, right? In terms of really freeing yourself, you know, trying to find ways so that we're not, you know, afraid. So I guess in your experience, and you work with a lot of people, you know, with creative surrenders, with different um, creatives, so maybe talk about your own experience and maybe about things you've seen with others as well. What do you think people are afraid of kind of doing something like outside of whatever the conventional wisdom is, you know, whatever outside of their comfort level to really be free and, you know, be creative. Yeah. Why do you think that's the case, you know, for you or others before? I think that, Part of it, it's a very multi-layered thing for certain people. I'd say that the majority of the time, some of the reasons that people find themselves holding back and like myself included, because uh, some days I'm like, this is nothing. And other days I'm like, this is all I can think about is that sometimes you feel like, you know, is it too late? Am I the right person to do this? Like someone else has already done this. And the way that I kind of think about it now and I talk about it with friends and people that I'm interacting with for these kind of experiences is like, you know, yeah, there could be similarities to a lot of stuff. I think like Western culture has made things very competitive and it's very much the scarcity mindset that I don't subscribe to. I think that it's so cool to see that there are multiple people being able to do things that are similar to each other, that are maybe inspired by each other, that, you know, there's this sense of the way that you are approaching something, doing something, creating something and launching it into the world, you're going to be doing it in only a way that you can do it. Like someone else could try to replicate what you're doing, but the the intention would not be the same. The way it comes across when you're passionate and curious and excited about it would not be the same. And so I think that's typically the first thing. The other thing is that there's a lot of fear of of judgment and of failure. And that's not really what it is too. I think a lot of the time it is fear of like, what if this succeeds, right? Like we spend so much time planning for failure or thinking that, you know, someone else is, is so far ahead of where we are in this journey that we don't even take a step to start. Not recognizing that a lot of the time, and this is why I'm a big fan of having like structure in place to take away some of the like brain energy you use to try to plan things out of like I've automatically scheduled that every week this is dedicated to painting or poetry or whatever it might be that it really does come in baby steps and a lot of the time I think people are like they want to try something once and they expect to succeed, but they don't know how it'll work or they expect that they'll fail. And it really is doing things little by little, like day by day, week by week, even if it's just setting aside like 30 minutes for the day to dedicate to it. Um, because progress happens so fast when you're looking back in retrospect. And, you know, 
sometimes I, I tell people I'm like a month from now, if you've been doing these baby steps, you would kill to be like where you are right now. Like think about where you were three months ago, a year ago, like so, so much can happen within a year. And so just kind of breaking it down into these like little goals of where you want to be and not like letting yourself get overwhelmed by what the big overarching dream is because you're going to reach that dream if you just like keep shuffling towards it even you get there even faster when you're doing it like with other people who are just as excited and passionate about you and then you you have this sense of oh my gosh I could dream even bigger and I talk about with people a lot about how you know the dreams that are really worthwhile are the ones that like you can't possibly do on your own and I think those are the ones that are the things that really transform the communities we're part of, our own families, our friend groups that kind of ripple outwards. And at least for me, when I think about like the impact I want to have on the world, like even if I'm just impacting like one other person by the end of my life, amazing. But I know I've already impacted so many more than that, which is a really wonderful thing to be reflecting on. But yeah, I think there's this uh, this sense of a lot of different like fears around it of really just getting started and like that friction of starting and like to keep going again is a lot easier when you do it with other people. No, that's beautiful. You know, it's about changing our mindset so that we can overcome the fears and still get to where we want it to be, but without overwhelming ourselves. So thank you for your thoughts and insights on that. So you founded Creative Surrender in 2019. So how has things changed since the pandemic in terms of activities as well? Were there kind of virtual things that people are able to do nowadays? Yeah, um, we're not doing these right now, but those passion sprints I mentioned earlier, we did. I lost track of how many we were doing it basically every week uh, virtually, which was super fun because I got to introduce people from all over this like global community I've picked up over the years to each other. So we were doing that last year. I've kind of put a pause on that for now because I have a like a couple major clients right now that I just simply don't have the bandwidth for. But um, we did that. I had been planning on doing an in-person festival in Brazil last year to benefit the community that kind of taken us in in Florianapolis. But, you know, with everything going on, I was like, this is not a responsible decision to push through. Like Brazil definitely hasn't canceled Carnival. Like COVID's definitely going to hit Latin America eventually. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, sad about I'm going to have to put this off until next year. But when I got evacuated from Brazil back to the U.S. by the company I was with at the time, um, there was this crazy sense of freedom and maybe delirium from being sleep deprived on like flights that lasted for over like 24 hours to get back to the U.S. But um, I just had this sense of being free of I'm no longer tied to a location for this festival. And I think that I could still pull it off virtually. I don't really know how to do this. I've never live streamed anything for a 24 hour period before, but I messaged some artists that I knew. And as I typically tend to invite people, it's kind of, hey, you know, like you really inspire me and I have this crazy idea. Like, would you want to be part of it? Like, here's some of the details. And there were very few people who said no. And so in the end for that festival, we did like two of them last year. We're gearing up for a couple more later this year. Um, you know, we've been able to like raise awareness and funds for 11 different charities. Um, we've had artists perform from, I don't even know, 13, 14 different countries, um, which has been so, so cool to see because now these artists and, you know, the fans that they have along for the journey, everyone's at very different stages, but they're so inspired by each other. And it's really wonderful to see people come together for live music, even if it's in a very different setting. So 
yeah, there's um there's a lot of that going on. There's more um, mixtapes that are going to be recorded later this year. Um, I think I've been focusing more on like how to extend the festivals beyond just doing them a couple times a year and how to actually give back to the artists. So, you know, it, for the second one, we started doing um, a fund that's directly to the artists. So things are split between them as well as proceeds from the mixtapes. Um, and then, I mean, as, as you know, like for Clubhouse in particular, um, I help out a lot with like the Sing Me to Sleep family. So <laughs> we, uh, from February until uh, earlier, I, I think it was till the end of April, we did a show every single night for like three hours. Um, and finally, a couple weeks ago, we all were like, for, for our, our mental capacity and like our sleep schedules, we should probably take Monday through Wednesday off. So now we do them Thursday through Sunday. And that's been really cool to see too, um, because, you know, as, as you know, we've, we've done stuff to raise funds for like different causes um, over the last few months, which has just been cool to see of there's always this element of like, how can I actually like give back beyond just like amplifying people's voices and their craft and whatever it is they might be doing. So that's a lot of my, my focus right now is, is those three things. Yeah, no, that's good. That's great to hear, you know, Amanda. So I guess one follow up, it may be creative surrender related or it may be just in general. What do you consider some of the most important accomplishments from your creative pursuit or projects? The most major one is when I chose to move to New York. I think that was one of the best decisions I could have ever made. I think I had 50% of my friends and family telling me I was going to hate it. And the other 50% being like, you're going to love it. And I was like, I don't know who to listen to, but I'm just going to go. Because I went to a city where I had some acquaintances, but I didn't know anyone. And in a way, it let me kind of like start over and just be like, I'm curious about everything. I'm just going to go to these things by myself. I've never taken myself on like dates and gone to a movie by myself or gone to dinner. And it just like opened up all these doors into all these communities that I'd always been curious about or had participated in, but like didn't feel fully like free to fully express myself. And that was probably one of the most key things because I discovered so many really wonderful people that have inspired me and kicked open so many different doors and have allowed me to do the same. So I think that's probably the first thing because there is never a lack of inspiration in places like New York. I think one of the other things is when I started being a lot more intentional about doing solo trips by myself, which um, I'm sure as you can imagine can be really scary for um, for Filipino parents when I'm like, I'm just going to go by myself to all these other countries where they're like, oh no, because you know they moved me around so much as a kid. I definitely got bit by the travel bug early. Um, but you know, further pushing myself to like go out and seek all these things and people and hear their stories, you know, has just continued to inspire me in any different project I'm working in because I know like what's capable. I know, you know, different ways of looking at things and to have like some of the patience with that, that things are inevitably going to go wrong, but some really wonderful things can happen because of it. So I think choosing to go to New York definitely like opened up a lot, a lot faster. I like saying, uh, like my friend Steph says, that in New York, you live a multitude of lifetimes in the space of a month. So there's so many things you can try and so many people to meet. Yep. They say that, you know, if you can live in New York, you can live anywhere. So, <laughs> but that's great. That's uh, so awesome to hear about your different perspectives. I mean, you brought up a lot of other topics too, like the, the family, which I'm going to get to as well. Let me ask you about the importance of racial identity as you pursue your creative projects. How does that play a role in terms of what you're doing? Yeah, anything that you can share around the intersection between the racial identity and also your creative identity? 
I think some of the challenges are that I had always felt and still kind of feel that I approach things a lot differently than a lot of people in my family, both immediate as well as like my cousins, aunts, uncles. I definitely am way extreme on the like creative spectrum as well as being like, I'm now very much like an entrepreneur. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make my own credentials. And so I think at first it was really hard because a lot of the Filipino community, including my parents, right? Like they really, they want us to be happy, but they also like, like, why do you hate stability, Amanda? Like, why can't you just do, you know, this is, you put your head down for like 10 years, you're trying to jump the gun and do these things that you should do when you're like 10 to 15 years into your career. And I was like, it's not a matter of impatience. I just, I don't feel fulfilled. And part of it was because I spent so long, even up until I had moved to New York, I feel like really compromising with my parents of like, I really don't want them to worry. I want them to be reassured. But I know I've, I've written about, I know you read the book, but I've written in pretty, in pretty like scary raw detail about my own mental health and dealing with depression and suicidal ideation. And I think I was heading down a really, really like bad path very quickly of like not trying to do the things that were making me happy or I was curious about and like really trying to live my life for my parents and the rest of my family rather than for me. And that really took a hit to, I think, what I could have been doing a lot sooner. But I had some really wonderful friends and teachers who constantly were encouraging me, who were like, you are insanely talented at some of these things you do, whether it's poetry or it's just drawing because you've like, let us look at your sketchbook. And I think at first, creativity, first and foremost for me, has always kind of been this way into like healing and self-expression. Because when I didn't have I guess the vocabulary or comfortability that I have now of being able to talk about these things that are really painful, a lot of it was coded into the things I was creating. Whether it was like, I can't have a journal because what if someone reads it? I'm just going to color code my sketchbook and like these will mean things that only I can really interpret. Or I would be dancing alone in my room or singing to myself or writing poems that I never wanted anyone to read. Um, But I think it was a way of I had so much bottled up in me that I felt like I wasn't allowed to talk about or really express or pursue that that kind of helped me from going completely crazy and off the deep end on some things Um, because it felt like oftentimes it was like my only outlet. And I think that once I started slowly kind of compromising with my parents of like, you know, I kind of broke their hearts by not going to their alma mater. I was like, I fell in love with a school in Boston. Like I'm going to Boston. I got in like early admission. So that kind of broke their hearts a little, but it was one of the best things because I I really got to step in and I think reconnect with more of my Filipino heritage as well. Um, because I, I'm a third culture kid. I grew up a little bit of everywhere. I was born in LA, but when I was still in preschool, we ended up moving back to the Philippines um, for my dad's work. And then we were kind of back and forth. And when we moved to the US full time, my grandparents moved to London. And so then we were back and forth between San Francisco and London. And growing up a little bit of everywhere, I never felt super comfortable because on the one hand, my parents were like, woo, American dream, like, don't be one of those Asian kids that only hangs out with Asian kids. Like they were, you know, doing their damnedest to put us through really, really great schools that I am so incredibly grateful for. But, you know, I was maybe one of like two or three Asians in the class in my grade at very small schools. And, you know, I, I remember even being like, I, I don't understand my own identity. Like, even though I've, I've been to the Philippines and I've grown up there and, you know, sometimes we're making the food, there was this huge disconnect of like, I don't even know how to, 
how to approach this. And I feel like I'm being shamed into like wanting to approach it. Like they're like, please don't be curious about that. And I'm like, but I'm curious about everything. Um, and so I think it was when I, when I went to school in Boston, there was like a Southeast Asian society and all this different stuff. I kind of like skated around for a bit, but by my junior and senior year, I was getting reconnected. I performed in like one of the cultural shows, like my senior year. And I was just like, I wish I had connected to this sooner, like my freshman year. And so um, it's been really cool to see because I think uh, the Filipino community and all of like my friends who are just like so passionate and curious and kind with everything they do and however they approach things. And so whenever I get to meet them, when I'm out and about wherever I am in the world, it is, uh, you know, it feels like coming home in a lot of ways because there is so much that you don't need to explain. And I think that tied into like my creativity because I think I, part of it was, I was really afraid, you know, I would look around and be like, I don't see anyone who's like me doing these things. There is no path for me really to follow. And I think eventually I was just like, I'm just going to keep blazing my own trail on this. And it's never going to be a matter of I'm on this pedestal and I don't want to help anyone who's behind me. Like I'm very much going to like make sure this door is open. I always want it to be a, like, we're going into this like hand in hand. Like I am never going to be like, I am an expert in X, Y, and Z. Like there's always going to be something I'm learning from each new person that I encounter new perspectives. Like everyone just has some really wonderful lessons in their own story of life that they've been through so far, even if they don't quite know what it is yet. And it's so fun to kind of ask questions and, and see what comes from it and from each person. So I think part of it was me just realizing, you know, there's never going to be anyone I can like fully look up to. There's no path I can replicate the same way that no one can replicate what I've done. And so being able to really embrace that once I I kind of got to this point where I was like, okay, I've compromised. I like only applied to business schools to ease my parents, like setting that I was going to the East Coast. I am going to work in a corporate job in advertising to be this bridge between business and creativity that I'm like trying to straddle until it got to the point where, you know, I fell in love with production and community building and that was what I was so excited about each day. And my my passion and heart and curiosity for this like wonderful thing I had with advertising kind of just disappeared. And I was like, I, I can't see myself doing this. And, and that's not great. And I'm falling back into kind of a spiral. And that's not great either. So like, what's the change I need to make? What's the choice that I have right now? Because even not making a new choice isn't itself a choice. And I, I took a leap of faith, I had an opportunity I couldn't say no to I knew I was going to be kicking myself the rest of my life if I said no to launching a project with one of my nearest and dearest friends in Dubai. And I went and I was like, I'm going to be there for like a week to two weeks. And I don't know what I'm doing when I get back, but I'm going to go. And it was one of the best things because I saw how in my element I was, how excited I was, even as sleep deprived and crazy as it was to do this in, you know, a region of the world that neither of us had ever been to before. But it was one of the best things. And I think that that really helped me be like, there doesn't need to be anyone who looks like me necessarily that I have to look up to. I can draw inspiration from all these different people, but I want to make sure that I'm the person that I needed when I was younger. I want to be that person for other young young women, young men who are coming up, who are trying to like branch into creativity, even when their parents in the Filipino community in general and a lot older, like, I just don't understand what you're doing and just be like, you know, they're never going to understand what I'm doing. They're never going to understand what you're doing. And that's, that's okay. A lot of times they just want us to be happy and they want to know that we have like a plan, but a lot of time they really care about like the happiness. And so if you can kind of prove that it's something you are 
really passionate and curious about and you're going to go all out after, you just kind of have to prove it to them. But most of all, you need to be doing it for yourself. Exactly. That's beautiful. And you describe your journey, you know, all the different things that you had to do to have a checkbox in terms of kind of what they're looking for. But the most important thing is that your message really that you're doing it for yourself. I do want to expand a bit on the Filipino identity theme and topic. So on the flip side as well, um, if you can identify, I guess, um, what traits about the Filipino identity resonate the most with you? Sure. I think it's the community aspect that has always been it for me. I've been reflecting on a lot, even while I was writing the book over the last like two years was, you know, I, I come from a big family and family is so important, but I think it also is, you know, family is so much more than blood sometimes. And it's also this sense, right, of like when we're at family Christmas, even, you know, there could be like a couple hundred people there. And I have no idea who everybody is half the time, but, you know, you know, you're amongst family and people don't necessarily have to look like you. We're all, we come in all different shades. We come from all over the place, um, like whether, we're mixed or we've grown up in different countries and, you know, we all get to come together and there's this sort of harmony that can happen when people are together and this like excitement and joy of gathering like over food. And I think so much of that has spilled over into my approach of how I kind of build communities and, you know, get together with friends and kind of continue to build that like family mentality that like people are always welcome here. And I think that's probably something I admire the most is, is there's never this sense of exclusivity you know, where people are, people are always really welcome, no matter their skin color or their religion or where they've been. And so I think that openness is something that I've, I've really taken to heart that I very much see as having, you know, absorbed from, from my family. So I'm going to go back to another topic that you brought up earlier about mental health. So I guess my question is, how important is it to be able to talk about taking care of your own mental health? It's actually a two-part question, but the second part is, why do you think, you know, people or even Filipino community that were not really looking into it seriously? I love this question. I think it is so important for us to talk about mental health, both within the Filipino community and outside of it. There's so much, especially with what is kind of been referred to as the loneliness epidemic, especially amongst like my generation, as hyper-connected as we are with social media it is so lonely sometimes. People only have maybe a close handful of friends, uh, I think the majority of the time, and they're ones that are their oldest friends they've had maybe since childhood. I think that it's really important. I found that as scary as it can be to like bear my heart and soul that vulnerably, it has been way more impactful because I kind of really embraced leading with boldness and with vulnerability. Because I found it really does allow other people to do the same, to open up in ways they might not have or, you know, get perspective on things that I thought maybe I was the only one to have ever been through that. And I think it speaks to a lot of like strength that people have of like what we can each go through individually. And we may not know the nuances of everybody's story, but there are always parts that resonate. I think within the Filipino community in particular, it is sometimes a little difficult because at least in my family and for my friends who are in the Filipino community I've talked with, a lot of the times there is no importance given when you try to bring up emotions and feelings. And I think it comes down to 
maybe this difference in how we've grown up across the generations and in very different eras. And especially because so many of us, like for me speaking as like a Filipino American who's grown up kind of all over the place, you know, a lot of a lot of the older generation are immigrants, like the Filipinos, like as for our part in the Asian diaspora is like, we're definitely not a monolith, but we've gone to all these different places. And we haven't grouped up the same way that, you know, you may have seen like, there will be like a Chinatown or, or a Koreatown in major cities around the world. There's not necessarily this sense of carrying through of grouping back together once we've left. And I think because everyone has gone out all out to pursue like that, like I'm doing all of this for my family mentality. I am working myself to the bone to send money back to family I still have in the Philippines to, you know, maybe leave all of that behind and start over. And I'm only looking out for my family. Like I want to succeed. I want like the American dream. I think that's really hard because when you're pursuing stuff like that, a lot of the end goal has to do with like very physical things. Like And I think when, you know, I I very much feel from my parents in the older generation, because when you've worked that hard to provide for your family, and maybe your kids or your grandkids are, it's not that they're not appreciative or grateful. But I think it's really hard when it's like, how could you be complaining about like feeling sad, when like, I've been told, right, like, you have a roof over your head, you have food in your stomach, you have all these things that like, I was not always guaranteed as a kid. I think it can feel like, very disrespectful and a slap in the face. And I I can totally get that. But I think that the way that even right their parents or they want to and have learned how to express like love and to like tamper down emotions um, is not how like my generation has grown up and like the generations to follow. And I think being able to have conversations is so, so important because I find in the Philippine community, right, there's, there's a lot of like, let's talk about this person behind their back instead of talking to them directly. Let's like not talk about this at all and maybe have miscommunication and reading between the lines and the nuances of what someone's not saying. And that is just, that's not a, a healthy relationship. That's not any way to sort of grow together or to actually connect. And I think so much of that is like tackling kind of like what this is, because even right, like I always have a lot of questions for people. And even with like my grandparents or my parents or my aunts and uncles, when I'm asking questions, it's like, oh, like you don't have to worry about that. And I'm like, no, but like, it's not that I want to worry. I just, I want to know you. And there's this sense of like, well, we've already overcome it. Like, let's not talk about it. Or like, we're taking care of it. You don't have to worry. When there's a lot of sense that, you know, we want to also be able to like take care of them in the same way and have these conversations and get to know who they are, like as people, not just as this title of like my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad. And so I think even tackling that, that even like tell me your story question is so hard because so much of it is tied in with all of this, you know, maybe trauma or like things they've been through that they don't want to revisit. And like, I can respect that. But a, a hard thing is like being able to like heal ourselves and other people and understand like the nuances of why we do the things we do is very much tied into like how we were raised with our family. And sometimes being able to heal that means having those really hard conversations that someone is super resistant to having. So I think it's a combination of a lot of different things, but I think it's so important because I even had a conversation with my cousin who was out here for a few weeks in in Maui with me, who's read my book. And she was telling me that all the things that I was writing in there, she thought she was the only one who was going through. She she thought she was the only one who felt this way. And she was so happy to be able to talk to me about what I had been through and to get my perspective being a few years older. And I think that's the thing is like, there's this sense of like, 
I don't know, maybe stubbornness in a sense of I I need to like be the one to like bear all of this for my family that I I can do it on my own. As much as we're family centered, so there's this crazy juxtaposition of like I want to be like you know it's it's like my duty and also everyone needs to like be together. Um, so I think it makes for some interesting like conflicts, but um, always fascinating conversation. So I mean that's probably the the biggest thing I've come to see. It's interesting because when you were talking about the loneliness epidemic and just being honest and vulnerable about your emotions, that's so powerful because it kind of makes the other person feel like there's somebody else like me who can talk about this kind of things and it helps. There's also the need to, I guess, keep the appearance that you're fine, you're okay. But that's like the hardest thing. And that's like, that's a myth. You definitely will be able to free yourself. I'm talking about my experience as well, that, you know, the minute you admit that sometimes you're not okay, and that's fine, you're aware of it, and you'll deal with that. So it resonates with what you're talking about as well. Yeah, I think like what you're saying too, there's this um, this theme, I think, across the Filipino community of like having pride about suffering and silence. There's this martyrdom that I kind of want us to get away from um, because it it is its own sense of healing and expression and trust to be able to talk about this with other people. And it becomes less scary and there's less shame attached to it. Once you start reaching out to people and you're like, I'm definitely not alone in this, which I think like I've, I've found from when, you know, we've been in clubhouse rooms together with other people in the Filipino community, just within clubhouse itself. I think it's been so powerful to see people for the first time kind of tackling some of these subjects and kind of bridging this gap between different generations, no matter where it is we've grown up. And we can all learn from each other, right? I mean, you, you represent, you know, a new generation to that, that thinks differently. And we just need to be more understanding and also need to be more inclusive that that's a valid way of looking at things. That's a valid way of feeling things. So your emotions are your emotions and your emotional journey is your emotional journey. So nobody should be dismissing that and thinking that that's not the case or, or whatever, because it's different from ours. I met you on Clubhouse, which, you know, it's amazing. And I've used it positively, really. So how do you um, feel about Clubhouse now? So what was the biggest surprise or your thoughts on that after months of using it? Yeah, so I've been on since like early December. Um, I spent my first month kind of observing because I was like, "What? what is this, this strange new thing, you know, that we're all kind of experimenting with. Um, and I'm glad that I took that first month to just observe because, you know, as, as with any social media, but particularly with Clubhouse, I think that it's very much a translation of like people in the real world and like, you know, the plethora of personalities you can find that are there in Clubhouse. And so there was a lot of, you know, um, people who are interested in the same things as me, but there was a lot of a sense of, um, is this person chasing for clout? I feel like I'm being shoved in their marketing funnel to like sign up for XYZ course or download this thing. And that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to push things in a professional setting to like take on new clients. Like I know that I'm here for the connection. I like miss being able to see people. I miss meeting new people. But at the same time, I, I had been sitting and reflecting and I was like, I actually did a ton during the pandemic. I met over a thousand new people in the first like few months of the pandemic. And I still haven't met them in person yet. So I was just like, this is going to be so exciting to like 
meet more people. And so I think getting clear on my intention of being here to like connect with people and find new friends and just like goof off because, you know, we're dealing with some really serious issues. And like during the day for the first like three to four months of the pan- of being on Clubhouse in the new year, I was like, I want to be hosting and holding space for really serious conversations. I think it's super important to have. But, you know, you you end up having to balance things out because you can't do that back to back to back like you will burn out. It's too much emotional labor for any one person to carry. There are so many people tackling things at the same time. So I've uh, I found that in the past month, especially, I focused more on providing space for people to come and decompress and just connect with people you know, to have fun, rather than always hosting really, really serious conversations that are bringing up either a lot of um, really hard emotions to deal with their trauma, when I had been really worried at first hosting some of those rooms that like, you know, I am not a professional in any capacity of like, I'm, I'm not a licensed therapist. I don't, want to either, you know, make someone's situation worse or put them on the wrong path or say the wrong thing. And sometimes like, I think there's this balance of like, well, then should I say anything at all? But I'm a huge fan of it because I think it's, it's allowed a lot of people to really come out of their shell. At least what I've been seeing in the rooms I've hosted, like, you know, forcing me to sleep or any of the other like artist rooms that I'm in, because we've had people coming through again at any stage of their journey of people who are professional singers who, you know, are signed with record labels to people who are like, I've only ever sung in the shower up until tonight. And I don't know how this is going to go. And they're so nervous. And, you know, they come back and over and over again with some regularity and whether it's a month or three months later, they're now like some of the most incredible people who are so confident in what they're doing in Clubhouse who are about to be putting out EPs or singles. And that's just so cool to see, to to help be like a source of encouragement for creatives and entrepreneurs that are just getting started the same way that, you know, my friends and my teachers were for me, even when it wasn't always from my family. So I think that's been one of the coolest things is just looking back over the last few months and seeing like how far all of us have come. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it's good to, you know, focus on kind of what works for you. And eventually you, you'll find your tribe. You'll find, you know, the value that you're getting out of it, focusing on that. It's good that you're, you know, using it to decompress and really connect with people who are like-minded or interested in creatives as well. One other topic that I want to bring up, because, you know, this is part of the Gay Pride and Prejudice series. So you talked earlier about, you know, fluidity in the labels, especially in the LGBTQ community. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you associate with the LGBTQ community? Sure. Yeah. For me, as I said, like things are pretty fluid. I very much identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community or the alphabet mafia, as I know a lot of us are calling it now. Um, I, I don't like putting any sort of label on it because I think at first I was like, maybe I'm bi. And then I was like, but I don't really care about gender. It's not just like two things that are exclusive. So maybe it's pan. But I think at any given time for me, it comes down to like, I always approach things with friendship first. And I think I really like, you know, care about my friends so, so much that a lot of it has come down to just, you know, I I don't have a huge label on it, which is why I usually just say that I'm fluid. Like, even like with pronouns, I've been going back and forth about like she, her, and they. And I'm like, I could use all of them. Like, I'm not particularly tied to any single one. And I feel like so much of it is is kind of its own sort of construct. I'm very like proud to have explored and be as fluid as I am to like know this really wide 
you know, range of people. And it's been so fun because like, I mean, even when I didn't even really know myself that, you know, I was queer or part of it, I've always been like a huge ally of the community. And so even being part of like, part of like the clubs uh, who are allies associated with it, like the schools I've been to that were majority, like very Catholic private schools. I was like, this is just like a cause I really care about, you know? <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, of course I did. Like, cause I'm part of it. I just didn't fully let myself acknowledge that yet. And I think it's been fun because in a way, you know, it's something that you always kind of know, but I think I was trying so hard to like not look at it myself that it was hard at first. But yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorite communities. Again, I think it's like one of the most welcoming um, people are so, so about consent and communication and just like building this really wonderful thing of just like freely express yourself however it is you want to express yourself in in dance and creativity and experimenting and trying new things. And I think that's something that is so near and dear to my heart of like, I, again, I'm just like, I'm so curious and I'll pretty much try anything at least once. No, that's a really interesting perspective, Amanda. So I guess it's important to be aware also in terms of how people want to identify themselves right? So in your case, you really respect the fluidity, you know, that's part of who you are. So um, do you ever feel like you have to come out as well, you know, based on kind of how you define your identity, you know, from a sexuality perspective, you know, being fluid, not really so much into all the labels. Do you feel that way that you have to come out as well, you know, in in the LGBT world, you know, the concept of coming out is such a big deal, but let us know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I think I made a post on this a bit ago about how I feel about even the term coming out. I think that I've always been a little torn about it. And it's not to say that I don't have pride in who I am or in members of the community that I like have my whole heart and soul in supporting as they go on this journey. But I think that the way society has really framed coming out as this like huge thing and this big deal, like I think it's great because it's a step forward into making it something that is in fact like we're all very normal in that, in whatever our identity might be. But um, I find it a little disconcerting because there's so much emphasis placed on this one thing that is more for, I think, people who identify as straight more than people who are in the LGBTQ plus community. And that oftentimes after that, there's this expectation that you have to come out and tell someone that like, if you don't tell them that you don't trust them or you've been tricking them or whatever it might be. And I find it so strange because it's like, it's not even just that one time, the first time you come out, you have to like, there's this expectation that you have to come out with each new person you come across and like, like totally up to people and how they want to disclose stuff and when to people. But I don't need it to be some like huge extravagant affair every single time. I mean, my own coming out process was kind of like very much, uh, I guess, like individual to me of kind of freaking out of like, I thought I was straight, but I'm definitely not straight. When I went on a backpacking trip through Argentina and fell in love with this guy from Brazil and this woman from Amsterdam and was like, I am confused. Um, I need to think about this. <laughs> and then getting to talk about it with with my friends who are also exploring things even within and without like the poly community even of like, what does that mean in terms of learning communication and new vocabulary and I think being able to play around in the poly community in particular when I was in New York was super, super eye-opening for me because so much of, I don't know, even again, the vocabulary of it, I had no idea about growing up in a very conservative family. I got to just like learn from people when I was out and meeting. And that's been so, so cool to see because 
at first I was like, do I have to pick a label? Like there's, you know, all these stigmas for women who identify as bi on like any side of the spectrum, even without the, with, like outside of the community. Like, I don't know how this will go. Um, but I think I've been really lucky that the majority of people that I've met over the years since I, I guess have quote unquote come out, um, have been so insanely understanding of knowing that it's not me not like picking a side necessarily. Right. It's just, that's something that I'm very much in like exploration mode about and probably will be for like the rest of my life because I could be really into men for one month and then be like, I don't want anything to do with men for like the next three months. And that is totally fine. Um, but it's been, it's been one of the most like freeing things to kind of explore, especially with other people, because you know, I'm always like, oh my God, did I like, did I like quote unquote come out too late? Like there's so much I still have to learn. And I, I think that's the thing is there's always going to be like a new thing to sort of experience and like some fun adventure to get into with someone else. But I think like members of the the Alphabet Mafia, let's say, are um, are some of the most open and, you know, curious and adventurous people. And it's been, it always feels like coming home in a way. So I'm not a huge fan, I guess, to sum up of like the coming out process itself. But I I don't know. I think it's an important step in any person's life who identifies as part of it. Um, and I've tackled it as when I was first, you know, telling my family and friends, it, they were very much one-on-one conversations. For my family, my immediate family, it was very spread out. Like I told one of my sisters first, and then I think it took like two years until I actually told my dad, even though he definitely already knew. That's great because you bring a very unique perspective that I think we need to really know, you know, know about and, and be aware of. So thank you for being so open. And so I do have a follow-up question on that too. You know, you mentioned about kind of dating and relationships. So with being label-free or being fluid, did it make it harder or easier for you in terms of navigating kind of the relationship aspect of it or dating or looking, you know, seeing somebody. How has that played in your pursuit in terms of relationships, right? And or dating? Sure. I think that it it's been both in a weird way. Um in some senses and I guess in some circumstances it has been very easy. And it's not at all an issue because people are like, wait, this is great. You're like a unicorn in a sense because you're still in exploration mode. You just like people. And I'm like, yeah. So like, you know, I've definitely like been in quasi relationships with people like in the poly community, even though like I wouldn't identify as poly myself. I'm definitely more like monogamous in a sense. But they also, I think, I think it comes down to that I learned from both the LGBTQ community as well as the poly community, like how to actually communicate with a partner. Um And I think this stems back to, like I said, I feel like there's so much that like we don't talk about in the Filipino community or even in our own families, especially with mental health. And like people are so open. And if I find myself retreating, I've been with partners who are like, wait, wait, hold on, like, let's let's sit down and talk about this. Do we need to pause? Should we revisit this conversation in like an hour so you can gather your thoughts? Like whatever it might be, because sometimes I'm like, no, I want to talk right now. And other times I'm like, why am I actually really upset? Like, do I need to go deal with this on my own first? But I think because like something I apply to all of my um my like partnerships I've been in uh, since 2016 has been, you know, at least over the last two years in particular, I've really adopted this sense of like, let's have check-ins, right? So like each week at whatever time and date we decide, we are dedicating this to each other to like check-in. Is there stuff that like, 
I could have done better or done less of? Is there like, do we still want to be in this relationship? And we have this conversation. So, you know, you don't have really like small things add up into some massive blow up. And then there's like no harm taken if like at the end of whatever, like a month, three months, like a year, if it's like, you know, I'm not interested in pursuing this partnership anymore. Like it's okay. Cause you kind of have this build up to it. You've had this open communication. There's not this sense of guilt. If I have to stay in this or I'm going to completely destroy someone if I leave. Well, I haven't been in like super serious relationships for like, I'd say more than like six, seven months in the past couple of years. I think everyone has been really understanding that like they, they love my energy and who I am as a person. I think that a lot of them have helped me become so much more confident into who I am today and like helped me really understand like what am I looking for in a partnership? Like, you know, what are these new boundaries I have or do I even have them in this? Like, what am I actually interested in or curious about or what do I like really enjoy? Am I just saying yes to this because a partner is really interested in it? Or is it something that like, you know, I I actually want, you know, to incorporate into like my lifestyle? And I don't know. I think it's been it's been really cool because I think the majority of people are very much like, yeah, like, absolutely. Like you are allowed to change your mind. You could not like this at first or be scared of trying it and then you love it or like, you know what, it's not for you. And that's okay. Like, I don't think there's as much like judgment around it. And so I think, again, I I feel like so much of my life has been like a blessing in a lot of ways. I've I've found some like really good people I've come across over the years, both in the States and outside it, where, you know, people just wholly accept who I am um, in that moment. And those are the people that I definitely like, you know, continue to keep in contact with. Was there a part of it that you found challenging or difficult pursuing it the way that you do? I'm thinking of there could be others out there who are going through it the same way as you are or as you did. So that's why I wanted to kind of ask about, was there an aspect of it that's challenging or difficult? And what advice would you give them, you know, the others who are probably going through something like that as well? Sure. I think that's a great question. I think that on my end, what it was challenging I've often come across, right, um, sometimes people are like, I really just want to be in a serious, committed, like, long-term relationship. And I think when I was a lot younger, I would have just been like, yes, because I want, I always have this, like, people-pleasing thing I'm trying to deal with. Like, I always want to be making people happy. I don't want to feel like I'm being a burden or stressing them out or whatever else. And so I think when I was a lot younger, before I had really, like, I guess, come out um, or started exploring these things, I would stay in relationships or friendships that were no longer serving me that in fact had become kind of toxic or, you know, in retrospect was super unfair of me to not be telling someone that, that like either the, you know, the feelings have kind of disappeared or that's not ultimately what I want because like, I don't know, at least for me, I usually know deep down, like, you know, is this something I want to pursue or not? And so most of the time, I would say like, especially when the first couple of years when I was like, I'm fully open with all these things. I'm curious about all these things. I was always very clear, tried to be from the upfront that that's the mode I was in. Like, not that, you know, whatever labels we could say it's an open relationship or that we're in some sort of poly thing. But for me, I was like, I'm kind of just dating around right now. And like before we do anything together or pursue anything like I like, you know, I need you to be clear that you understand that. And so I think at first, the first couple of times 
I ended up in these kind of um, these kind of relationships or partnerships. I think it was really hard for people to understand, like the first couple of people, and then it was also really hard for me because I hadn't really learned this different vocabulary or like different ways to communicate and different communication styles yet. That I feel like I'm a bit more. Um, I guess, like equipped to be able to understand and try to navigate now. Whereas at first I was like, I feel completely blind in this. Um, and I think that's the thing is like, I've learned to not really like um, to to hold things back, which I think I used to do a lot in the beginning where I was like, I just, I don't want to hurt this other person. This isn't really a big deal. I'm just going to let it go. Even though it was like crossing all sorts of boundaries for me of like, you know, how they might treat their family or their friends, like things that I'm now like, nope, that's like a red flag and a hard no for me. Like, if this is if this is something you do all the time, like we're, we're talking about it, um, we're going to have the conversation as hard as and, and as uncomfortable as this might be. And so I think that's the thing is like, there's no tried and true way or a map someone can hand you to be like, this is how you navigate these things. A lot of it is very much trial and error. But I think being able to to check in with yourself is super important. The same way that I was saying earlier, like I love being able to check in with a partner every single week because if, you know, myself or my partner isn't showing up for those check-ins, whether it's every week or once a month, whatever it might be, that tells me something in and of itself, right? That it's not important for them or for me to show up to those conversations. And being able to check in with myself before I go into those of like, you know, why am I feeling this way? Am I just stressed out because of work or a situation that happened with a friend? I think, you know, being more in tune with yourself, like I try to approach it a lot from like daily journaling, like helps me a ton to like clear my head of whatever else I might be carrying or holding on to and not letting go of. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel like looking back on it, right, it's like easier said than done. Um, in a lot of ways, because I definitely like messed up, like I'm not always like, you know, the good friend or the good partner, like I make mistakes too, I misinterpret things. Um, but I try to get ahead of it to to have that conversation earlier, like, am I reading this wrong? You know, and so I think that's what I would suggest is like, don't, don't like blur your own boundaries for someone else to like make them more comfortable, but to also like have the conversation sooner rather than like putting it off. That's a good advice. Yeah. And I'm learning so much too in terms of the vocabulary, you know, the different, the concept of check-ins. So, I mean, it's, you know, a great perspective. So I appreciate that, Amanda. So let me ask you some fun questions. So what's your idea of fun, fun activities? Okay. So one of my favorite things to do, uh, at least in, in New York in particular, was to go with friends to a museum. Sometimes we'd microdose, but we would just like wander around with no plan, not looking at maps, just like have fun exploring. Um, I think one of my other things is just like leading people on photo walks and dance adventures. So, you know, uh, I know everyone's kind of dancing in public now because of TikTok, but it's been one of my favorite things of just like, let's just like let loose and laugh at ourselves and have fun. But I love doing photo walks with people to be like, okay, cool. Like if you're more comfortable behind the camera, you're going to be the model or like you're more comfortable in front of the camera. This is how you can like learn to take photos of your friends that like are actually framed properly. But I think everything becomes this sort of adventure if you, if you choose to make it one uh, and it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. I love it. Life is an adventure and, you know, don't take ourselves seriously. So one final question to go back to the theme. So June is the gay pride month. 
How would you celebrate just in terms of kind of your unique perspective on the alphabet mafia, right? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, you talked briefly about gay pride earlier, but you know, maybe pivoting it to what does that mean to you? What do you think that represents, you know, like the concept of LGBTQ pride, you know, however we want to associate or not identify. So I guess that's my question is just, you know, the concept of that pride. What does that mean to you? I think the the pride for me really stems into this like confidence we have in ourselves and a lot of self-love that ties back directly into that. I think there's this sense of when when you were very proud and I got I guess like for gay pride there's this sense of stepping into your own power um and being like I am worthy and I am enough exactly as I am even though that's going to be fluid and change as I learn more and experience more and meet more people and I think there's this sense of comfortability with that. And at least for me, that's definitely one of the most attractive things is when I come across someone who like would could be a potential partner or friend who is is very like clear, right, on on what's getting them out of bed in the morning, what they're passionate and curious about, what they're really excited to be like working on and creating in the world. And I, I think that's the thing is like when you are also proud of yourself, you're that is just gonna exude. That's something people can celebrate and will be attracted to. And yeah, I, I think it's a matter of, of, of self-love and confidence that that pride can stem from. That's beautiful because it doesn't matter, you know, how you identify within the spectrum or even if you don't at all, you know, fundamentally, it's the confidence and the self-love that you talked about. So I think it's an amazing way to end our conversation with that message of finding that self-love, finding that confidence. It's not always easy, right? So I think you know, we definitely learned a lot from talking to you, Amanda, and I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening will be able to learn as well. So I do appreciate you for being who you are, for all the creative, you know, pursuits and projects, for being so open, for saying yes to this collaboration and being part of this podcast. Thank you, you know, for, for the listeners as well. 